You're listening to Edu Revolution, a podcast that inspires educators to make meaningful change. My name is Michael R. McCormick, and I'm a school district superintendent best known as a technology enthusiast who is dedicated to increasing opportunity and access for each student. I'm sitting down with the movers and shakers who are making waves in the education space through research, practice, and technology integration. Buckle up and be inspired to make changes in your school or district and join the Edu Revolution movement. You can find this podcast on all the major platforms. Well, hello, everybody. This is Michael McCormick, superintendent, and uh, we're kicking off the Edu Revolution podcast with some of the main inspiration for how Edu Revolution came to be. I'm super stoked to have two guests here as the guests for the first episode. One of them is Sonny Magania, and the other one is John Crippo. And so, Sonny, let's let's start with you. You, uh, in the early 90s, got connected and kind of led the opening of an alternative high school right after kind of this thing that was early called something other than the Internet got de- declassified and um, kind of take it from there. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, th- that was a pretty heady experience to... Um, uh, work with students on the brand new thing called the internet. <laughs> and it wasn't, it was just declassified in 91. And my students and I were exploring uh, new ways of connecting with the world. And what our mission was, was to learn with the world, not just about it. Um, that, uh, that actually was a, a pretty profound time because the very first email I sent was in uh, the summer of 91. And that was when uh, the uh, then the, the leader of the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev, was kidnapped. So the very first email I sent was to, to our partner schools in part of a program called the U.S.-Soviet Exchange Project. Now that alone is a pretty interesting idea. <laughs> we were connecting with students and teachers in the Soviet Union on the other side of the Iron Curtain. And uh, make a long story short, we connected with teachers and students during the uprising, during the military coup that took place all across the Soviet Union. And our partners in schools in Moscow were describing chaos and a, and a possible return to hardline um, communist politics and tactics. At the uh, uh, military generals who uh, enacted the coup really shut off all kinds of communication outside of the Soviet Union, but they didn't shut down email because they didn't know about it. Oh, that is quite the story. Yeah, we had sort of a keyhole into you know, the reality of what was happening through email. And from that point on, my students and I were hooked. We said this could be a tremendous tool for, for the betterment of society if we choose to learn about ourselves and each other and learn how to make improvements uh, through our educational efforts. And I, I've been on that path ever since. Oh, that is fantastic. And then you got, it looks like you got the governor's commendation for educational excellence and then went on to get the Milken Family Foundation Award. And then somewhere along the line, you got connected with Robert Marzano and uh, began kind of doing some research, I'm guessing, with Marzano doing, during those years. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere in there, you wrote disrupted classroom technology or disruptive classroom technologies and created a pedagogical framework called T3. So kind of take us through T3 a little bit. Yeah, thanks. Uh, T3 was really a culmination of uh, 
three decades of research. I, I first started researching technology, education, and learning. What is there a relationship? What are, those are the three variables that I was looking at: technology, pedagogy, learning. And I started 1983 uh, looking at that combination. Um, but uh, uh, the work continued, and uh, I started researching with uh, uh, Dr. Rob Morzano, a, a dear friend of mine and a, and a mentor. Um, and from you know the compounding evidence that I, I started to see relationships being built. Like the, up until that point, I did not really see a relationship between improvements in student learning, improvements in pedagogy, and technology. It just wasn't there. Um, there was some increase in short-term uh, memory, um, uh, but no real discernment, discerning impact on uh, student conceptual understanding. So the uh, T3 framework was built out of compounding evidence that showed a true path forward. Um, and what I tell people is that you know T3, I didn't, I didn't come up with the idea of T3 and then found research to support it. <laughs> you know, it's sort of the patterns were made aware from the research, and the T3 framework then became you know a practical research-driven model of what I consider a next-generation pedagogy. So that's where it came Love from. It. It was born of research. Oh, that's great. And we'll dive a little bit deeper into the T3 framework, but I want to introduce our other guest today, which is John Crippo. He describes himself as a formerly disgruntled student who made it almost all the way through school at a 2.9 GPA. I think, John, um, I know when I met you, I, I think I said, where have you been all my life? <laughs> right? Yeah. And you've been a teacher. In fact, you're back in the classroom now teaching. And so I want to tap into some of those experiences. What's it been like kind of moving back and forth between virtual and face-to-face -face instruction, but you've been a teacher, a, an assistant principal, an assistant superintendent. You've been the, uh, what is it, the chief learning officer for Q. You went on to be the executive director for Q. You've done a lot of things. And um, yeah. so- Tell us what your, you know, tell us a little bit about your journey. Sometimes I get tired of explaining it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny because I had the same reaction when I met Sonny because I started intuitively doing in the classroom with a very, very simple sense of, you know, being a scientist. And I'm not a scientist. I'm a language arts guy. But like, if this pedagogical practice doesn't work, how do I change it so that I get the results I want? if that makes sense. So um, I started as an emergency credential teacher. I worked my way up. Uh, I did about ooh, 13, 14 years in the classroom, did a couple of years for Fresno County office as an ed tech consultant, got to open a high school. And I, a Sonny gets to show off about, ooh, we used the internet before anybody else. But my little claim to fame was we started a Google um, apps high school that was largely textbook free and every kid got a MacBook in 2008. So I think Sonny and I have similar, similar lineage there, not being afraid to walk off the cliff a little and then had a great time with Q for about six years, trained about 50,000 teachers. Um, and I've been an assistant suit. And then I had this epiphany about a year and a half ago. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going into the fourth quarter of my career here. You know, I'm not ready to retire, but I see the finish line. I think I need to hit the classroom one more time 
before I would propose to tell people what good teaching looks like in a modern classroom. And so that's my current journey for the next year or two. I'm going to be doing sixth grade up to my elbows. So it's, it's, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, it's so neat to go back. It's kind of like the difference between being a parent and a grandparent. Uh, not that I am a grandparent, but I've watched a lot of grandparents. Parents can be very intense and very nervous and very worried. And grandparents are like, ah, he's, he won't fall down. He's going to be fine. Right. <laughs> and if right. he does, we're just taking him to emergency. I've been there before. Not that big a deal. And so my stress level is very different than being a first-year teacher, even though I'm kind of a first-year teacher. Uh, that's super cool. Well, it, it's not lost on me when you said trained, you know, about 50,000 teachers, primarily around the state of California, but I'm sure it extended beyond that too. I always think you don't want to get too far away from the classroom because you have to empathize with the journey that our teachers are taking with students on a daily basis. And I love it. It's almost like you're the EDU grandpa now. Yeah, Uh, I'm that old. (laughs) (laughs) And so I love that. And so, you know, just thinking about this, uh, I think it was the three of us were in Chicago back in 2018 at uh, probably one of the largest ed tech conferences on the planet. I think you're right. And we all kind of came together. And my thinking at the time was actually there was Sonny and John and another guy named Ken and Ken K. I'm going to take just a moment to give Ken uh, in his work a shout out, but Ken was a lobbyist working in Washington, D.C., and um, started getting in touch with AOL back at the back in the day, and I'm sure I'm not doing this justice, but he was one of the guys that I was made aware of that first started really tapping into the business community and hearing that the business community was they were they were struggling to find qualified workers, and this and this work started uh, probably back late '80s, early '90s. And um, Ken then created the Partnership for 21st Century Learning, later went on to create Ed Leader 21. And so uh, the inspiration from Ken's lens in this Edu Revolution movement was really thinking about what were the skills uh, and the mindsets that we needed to be focusing on in our classrooms and education. Then comes Sonny entering the picture with the T3 framework and kind of what's possible when you do certain things all under, you know, research proven strategies. And then John is working on this thing called edu protocols, which is kind of like this open pedagogy. You know, once teachers learn about these lesson design frames, you can plug in any content. And so you know, just kind of the quick hit is Ken was focusing on what is it that we need to produce? You know, I often say in my school district, I've got 20,000 of your future workers. What do you want mm-hmm. them to know and be able to do? Uh, Sonny kind of has the research base and the uh, pedagogical framework for it. And then, John, your work was really focusing on what can this look like between human being teachers and children in the classroom. And that was really, yeah. so let's, let's kind of talk about edgy revolution and, and, you know, what are some of the tenets around edgy revolution and John, I'm going to kick it to you first. Okay. I'm going to start with this. Um, 
and I, you've heard me, both of you have heard me say this before. I think the Edu Revolution group is a group that has seen what the actual practice looks like to make school better, i.e., um, school is not going to improve by adding devices or whiteboards. Can we get an amen for that? Amen. All right. School is not going to improve with better lectures. We've got hundreds of thousand teachers trying to make the best lecture. It ain't working. <laughs> um, school is not going to improve with better worksheets or better textbooks. We need to relook at pedagogy the way that Starbucks looked at Denny's. And if you read the origin story of Starbucks, basically the, the people that started Starbucks had gone to Europe and gone to an Italian coffee place. And then they got home and they're like, why can't I get this here? And I think uh, what we're doing in Edu Revolution is providing. Sonny's got the research. Uh, Mike, you've got the leadership and the leadership group, and you know, with groups like Ken that cross over. And then I think what Edu Protocols provides is the bait and switch that allows teachers to actually make the jump. Because if we continue to think that, and I learned this term from Sonny, if we continue to think that lecture and practice, or tell and practice is not working because we have the wrong curriculum or it's not working because the teacher's not interesting enough. We have a giant logic error that we've got to solve right there. So that's, that's my nutshell version is we've got to give people a working framework and a framework where teachers work dramatically less. We need to get rid of the aesthetic of look at me. I graded all weekend. Dude, that's stupid. <laughs> you need to stop. And then you graded all weekend, and did your scores go up? No, you're just wrecking your life. So that that's my nutshell version of what we're trying to do. I love that. And Sonny, I'm going to turn to okay. you, but I'm going to make one statement in between there. You know, it, we had this committee of 10 back in 1892 that was led by Horace Mann that really kind of came up with the structure of schooling in the United States, and that was to prepare U.S. workers for the Industrial Revolution. And I think we would all agree that world no longer exists. So, Sonny, what's your take on edu protocol or the edu revolution movement? Yeah, no, I love it. I, I, you know, I really appreciate listening to John's uh, take on this. When, when I'll never forget when we first met, it was actually Jay Sorensen, a mutual friend from Oxnard Union High School. Love Jay. Jay's a great guy and was familiar with my work and familiar with John's work. He said, Sonny, you got to meet this guy, John. And I'm sure he said to you, John. Oh, he was recruiting me the same. Yeah. <laughs> so we hey, met I know and, this guy. <laughs> yeah, I know this guy. Uh, so we met and uh, just, you know, realized we were sort of pedagogical siblings, uh, and but from two different backgrounds, yet we still had so much in common. And what was great is within moments, within moments of, of yeah. meeting each other, one of us said to the other, I think John said to me, oh, my God, you know, our lesson frames fit beautifully into your framework. And I said, oh, my God, your, your <laughs> my framework fits beautifully around your lesson frames. It turned into a Reese's commercial. It was like a Reese's peanut butter cover. You got chocolate on my peanut butter. You got peanut butter on chocolate. You know what? It tastes great. So it was just a, it was better together. The instant complementary nature of our uh, approaches uh, was very uh, uh apparent to me. And I'm older than John, but if he was in the classroom in 1991, I have every uh, oh, confidence that he would have been involved in the U.S. Soviet exchange project. Yeah, because we're, we're had, just in tinkerers. You know, we're I, sort of experimenting. I had kids using Hotmail in 95. How there bad of an idea is that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hotmail's like crazy. Yeah, yeah. Geocities and web yeah. building, all that stuff. So, you know, we, we just hit it on immediately and, and realized, you know, there's power in the collective. We learn better together than we do in isolation. And things that 
seem disparate when you find the complementary aspects of them. Uh, there can be a collective improvement. So we immediately decide, okay, we, we have to do something together. I don't know what we exchange books. He gave me uh, the first edge protocol mm -hmm. field guide. I gave him a copy of my book, which just come out, uh, disruptive classroom technologies. I, I have the advantage. I, I read his book in Hawaii. I don't, I don't think I don't <laughs> know if can hold up to that. <laughs> I would encourage that. I would encourage that. Uh, but we, uh, decided to, you know, we can't not work together. We have to figure out, you know, how to move forward. And we've been doing it ever since. So when we met Mike, Mike put us together uh, with uh, the uh, his role as uh, a very distinguished leader in, uh, in, in not just in California, but he was a nationally recognized uh, educational leader. And with, okay, now we've got some pieces together. What are the other pieces that we have to put in? What are the other personas and, and uh, uh, perspectives from a diverse field that could make this work better? And so when you put together the Edge Revolution group, we just decide, okay, this is not just conversational. This is a group that's dedicated to revolutionizing the purpose of education and prepare students not for the turn of the 20th century, but for the turn of the 22nd century. Oh, and that requires that. a whole bunch of heavy lifting. Yeah, um, But exactly. fundamentally, I, 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 I'm in lockstep agreement with John. Teachers work too hard, they work too long, and our, our goal is to highlight a pathway, an easier way forward for teachers to work less, teach better, and accelerate student learning productivity while preparing them for their future, not their education systems past. And that's really what our what our focus is with the Edge Revolution is to prepare students for their future by helping teachers essentially um, move the cognitive load from their shoulders to the collective students' shoulders. Would that, mm -hmm. that that sound good to you, John? Yeah, you're right on. And and I'm going to loop back to Ken K. Because you mentioned him, Mike, is, you know, what I love about the four C's concept is when you're observing a teacher and when I always got to observe that the, the principal was watching me and I'm not a thing in the room. The, what the kids are doing is the thing, right? Suppressing the kids is not that hard. Getting the kids to work and ask questions. Now I'm jumping to Sunny, right? So I always loved looking at student environments from the four C's perspective because all the pressure is on the lesson design and we don't talk enough about that right we don't talk enough about what is the work the kids are doing what we do is we say the kids are paying attention the kids are being quiet the kids were listening attentively the kids raise their hand when they were told to whoa where does that happen in real life and so um i think that it's really an important piece to have you know what the kid is doing is preeminent. And Sonny has shown through his research that when the kid is just doing, uh, and I love Sonny's terminology, you know, and it's tell and practice or lecture and worksheet model. And then you add technology that, to that without tuning your pedagogy, you're going to lose academic results. They're going to get worse. And that's exactly what happened, by the way. Yeah. That's that's a difficult message. That's a it's a jagged little pill to swallow. But we have to be, you know, I mean, we have to be aware that as a nation, we've spent you know tens of billions of dollars on technology. And the 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 sixty four billion dollar question is, have we received a return on the investment? And the preponderance of evidence suggests no. Now I say that not to find fault with anybody or anything. I right. Don't, I don't fault 
It's not an effort thing. No, it's not no. A, a a caring thing. Nope. It's nope. it. It is what it is. It I would is. say that what we have is the wrong aesthetic. That's the way I, I, think, I, I yeah. I, We're I, trying I think, the wrong techniques. Yeah, yeah. I agreed. I think I think the philosophical underpinning uh, is what needs to change. It's the structure of our system that needs to change. Uh, and if we get down to that that the layer of the channel that of the rivers, as it were by moving some of the rocks around the channel, then we can have an easier way forward. Now, let me, let me elaborate that just for a moment. What my research shows really distinctly is that the impact of technology has been dismal. And it's not because of the technology. It's not because of the, the teacher. It's the practice of tell and memorize. Mm -hmm. Just having short-term memory enhanced with technology does very, very little. Um, to improve student understanding, but mm -hmm. there's a, there is a there's a, <laughs> a a pretty big but here. But if we shift our philosophical approach to learning to, to teaching, actually, from what teachers do to what students do as a result of teacher what teachers do, then we can shift our whole pedagogical frame from a pedagogy of instruction to a pedagogy of learning how to learn. And that's significant. When, if our system shifts from a, a system of teaching kids science or teaching kids uh, language arts or having kids memorize uh, content and instead focus on helping kids learn how to optimize their learning, then we have a learning-based pedagogy. And that's what I'm trying to do with T3 is have yeah. a pedagogy that's focused on learning how to optimize one's learning. And, and this, is why, this is why I love Sonny's big butts. <laughs> there's his an opportunity butts, in those his big butts, butts drive me nuts literally <laughs> yeah oh, that's hilarious but no. but it go, goes back to if you if the kid is well i, I like to use the, the sports analogy if you've ever played a sport or your child has played a sport or you've ever coached a sport imagine talking to the team for most of the week yeah like 60% of the week you're talking to the team and then literally giving them a worksheet to check for their understanding yeah. as if that makes any sense. And then coaching them after the game that they are bad players and that you're going to have to yell at them even more next week to get their attention. It's just, it's nonsensical in any kind of activity other than the classroom. Right. It certainly doesn't mirror real life. And I mean, one of no. the things we've talked about a lot extensively is this idea that our students don't typically have an authentic audience that they're working for, right? They usually have an audience of one, their teacher, and they're very strategic about making sure they hit all the points that the teacher, that the teacher laid out. And so in that case, it's really, which know, it's even, if I could jump in, Mike, it's even worse than that. Because if you read some John Taylor Gatto, you need to remember that the kids have been conditioned by the machine to tell the teacher that they like what they're getting. Yes. That's why it's so hard to break the cycle. So this is when I hear language arts teachers say, oh, my freshmen in high school love it when I read to them. No, they don't. Trust me, they do not. <laughs> you know what they love? They love telling you they love it right. because love you it. love hearing it. They also love not working. Mm -hmm. So when they're not working, you may read the whole period. You can read anything you want because I don't care right now. And you're not going to get better by that. That would be like saying, oh, this football coach tells the best stories. I could listen to his stories all practice long. That's not going to be a good season. 
yeah, is not. It's not going to. It's not going to enhance performance. No. But what does enhance performance is being actively involved in the performance. Yes. So shifting students' roles from passive consumers of worksheets, practice, lecture, whatever content, and shifting them to become active producers of knowledge representations changes the game in measurable ways. And that's really why uh, I'm so excited to be on, on this podcast and to you know, continue to forward the work that John and I are doing with the, with, with the T3 framework, the Edge of Protocols, and the newly developed T3 Edge of Protocols, because it helps reduce teacher workload, shift the cognitive load to students, so they're producing representations of their learning. Mm -hmm. And that has an, an impact equivalent to an acceleration in learning productivity. Yeah. Well, here, and I'll give you a real-life example of what Sonny's saying, Mike. Uh, this You're going to crack up when you hear this. So I'm doing uh, some PD for a district back east. I started my PD Friday at 4.15 a.m. We wow. did an hour, and then I went back to bed, and then at 6.45, I got up and went to school. <laughs> right? But guess what? When I got to school, I checked my Twitter. Teachers were already doing the things that I had shared in a 45-minute PD. Wait, they were already doing things and had already gotten student feedback. And you guys are – you know what thin slides are. One teacher did thin slides, and you know what the kid commented in the Google slide deck? I could do this every day of my life. Right. That's the shift. That's the shift. Yeah. Kids and this is you're listening to peanut butter chocolate right now. Yeah. <laughs> Sunny right. Sunny gives you a framework. Here's yeah. what will work. Not and I was gonna say theoretically, but I'm gonna pull back. Here's gonna here's what's gonna work based on Sonny's proven research and effectiveness and implementation. And then here I come and say, and if you want that, you don't explain the worksheet better. You do a different practice. And in this case, thin slides was the practice. And so there's a very literal jump from here to there. And um, that's where, gosh, we're not doing that in teaching. We just keep trying to do better lectures and make prettier worksheets, i.e. teachers pay teachers. And the problem is it's not giving us a result. No, no, it's not. There's an easier way. And it's not, and it's not just it's an easier way. It's a better way. It's a better way when, and when people talk about student centered learning all the time. But what they mean by that is that the student is the center of the, of the lecture experience. They're like, we're lecturing to them. <laughs> like they're, they're the audience. They're, they're the audience right. at the center. I think what we should be doing is um, following the guidance that's provided by the research and having students produce three things. Students be more involved in planning for their learning. So they have learning goals that are aligned to the lesson objectives, but they commit to those goals. The second thing is to have students be more involved in expressing and representing their knowledge creatively. And Thin Slides is a wonderful scaffold to do that. It's just one of many. So they're more involved in expressing and representing their knowledge. And the third thing is to have students more involved in actively evaluating and appraising their knowledge growth. Those three things are things done by teachers. But if we have students do that, I'm not suggesting that teachers stop doing that, just do a little bit less of it, have mm -hmm. kids do a little bit more, and then uh, the results will be will astound you. Yeah, and we routinely have teachers tell us that the kids are telling them we're getting better. Yeah. And the kids are surprised because they're in sixth grade and they've never gotten better. The kids are stunned to realize they're getting better. And that, to me, says everything I need to know about the potential of this, right? When kids are telling you, I'm getting better and I've never gotten better, <laughs> that's the sweet spot. Yeah, I love that. Well, and I think that, you know, we often hear the cliche 
uh, voice and choice for students. But what I love about the work that you two do collectively is it takes it beyond the simple voice and choice verbiage and actually gives teachers, educators, a true path forward. This is how you can do the work that Mm -hmm. guarantees student voice and choice. And I think when kids have agency around what they're learning, obviously they're more invested. They're more highly engaged. You get away from this concept of strategic compliance. Mm. And, you know, I'll say it like this. I'm going to move into uh, kind of, you know, we're, we're in a global pandemic and I've often said, you know, COVID-19 is like an exercise in the four C's for adults. And what you see is that we're having to use our communication, collaboration, creativity, and critical thinking uh, to solve this problem. And we're not just doing the math part of it from 145 to 245 in the afternoon every day. And we're not doing the science part of it from 930 to 1030. We see how these all these different subject areas collide with one another. And I think if we can give that to students in a more authentic environment within the classroom setting and actually have them start to think about solving some of the challenges of their generation that they're worried about, they're concerned about. That's when we see now that learning the specific subject matter areas is a means to an end. It's not the end. And I think when when kids are inspired to pursue their own interests, you know, that still happen to fit into the content standards because it all makes sense somewhere along the line. And that's where your your teacher becomes a facilitator because they, they can see the connection points for kids. But the kids are now working towards something that they're genuinely, authentically interested mm-hmm. in. And I think the combination of the T3 framework and the edu protocols is the perfect marriage that if, if teachers, educators understand some of the foundational pieces of the T3 framework and edu protocols, they can put that together in a classroom and tre- create a, a, a truly beautiful learning environment for kids. Yeah, I I, I, I agree. (laughs) I concur. Well, and Mike, you just made me realize this. Here's why it's edu revolution, not edu, 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 let's get five points better. Or edu, 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 let's mix vanilla and chocolate and see what happens, right? Like that's not hard enough. One of the big things with it, I'm going to throw out a couple of things for your, because I think we're, we're moving into wrapping up here. Two, two things for your listeners to listen to and uh, to think about. And I, I hope that you've got a lot of admins because that's where we got to start. Admins have to do evaluations that make sense. Admins have to push back on uh, uh, ed code that doesn't make sense. A- a- and they've got to provide leadership that makes sense, right? Here's two things that are crazy. We've got schools. It, it, why is it okay in K-8 that we don't have to do class by class attendance, but in high school we have to do? What the frick? <laughs> like, like the number one thing that ruins high school is period by period attendance. You guys, we have geofencing. Yeah, we don't. We the, we can we don't have to do that anymore. If, as long as you require kids to be in a class at a certain time to be taken roll, which by the way is killing millions of hours of productivity every year by taking roll once a period. Am I wrong? No, no. Nope. You're just disagree. losing. Yeah. Okay. 
So what the Edge Revolution people need to do is get together and talk to their state departments of superintendents and say, until you change that rule, I can't give you what you want. And what you want is dynamic change. But you want me to put kids in a room every 48 minutes and take roll and lose nine minutes doing it, right? If we can't solve that problem, we're not going to get done. And when you look at high schools like um, High Tech High uh, down in San Diego, they don't do that. You know why? They're charter. They don't care. Yeah. They take role however they want, right? So that's an example. Here's another example. This is mind-blowing to me. Okay, when, when we were in school collectively, school started in a, around Labor Day, right? Right. And then it ended around Memorial Day. And I don't know when this shifted exactly, but I think it was in the, the very early 90s, very late 80s. We decided to go from 165 days of school to 180 days of school. Mike, how's it working? Well, we aren't getting much better results out of it. I'll tell you what we are getting. We're getting teachers that are more stressed out because it takes a certain amount of energy to be a teacher for 180 days versus 165 days. Okay. And I know some people are thinking, blasphemy. No, this is no way. Just stick with me till the end. (laughs) I want you to imagine, Mike, a world in which we took three weeks off the calendar. That could mean four days of school every day, all year long. Mm. That could mean a, a four-week Christmas break and a, a break in between uh, Christmas break, and it, maybe the first week of March. That could just mean a shorter school year. You know, if all the schools started and ended at the same time, county offices could support us better. Do you know why? Because they would know when we're around. But right now we have schools that end in May. We have schools that end in June. We have schools that start in June. We have schools that end in July. <laughs> if, imagine if there was a window when everybody was not teaching, right? Imagine, Mike, if your custodial teams had three more weeks to actually clean the school. People don't ever think about that. Right. There's barely enough time to flip schools for the next year. That's why they look crappy. There's no window to do the jump. So think about all the things that would happen. Now, here's my two points. I'm doing claims evidence with I, I'm thinking you're kids. getting to a bit of social engineering here, John. Yeah. And I'm so guessing I'm doing, it has see, to do around teacher professional development. It could be. I'm doing CER right now, uh, if you guys don't know. So there was my claim. We go to school too long. Here's, here's some of my evidence, Mike. Right now, as we sit, Missouri... 163 days. Their scores are higher than ours. Now, you could argue that maybe they have less second language speakers, but the bottom line is empirically, we're going to school almost 10% more than them, and it's not paying off. What you end up with is stressed out, underpaid teachers, okay? Next, and you 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 gave a little, way, a little bit of my thunder there. Um, the next one is, imagine if we paid teachers the same, Still 180-day pay. Imagine if we could do three weeks of PD a year, Mike. A year. That would be huge. Wow. And if we were all on a similar schedule, the county offices could truly swing into action and do boot camps and, and really large events where we could get a lot of teachers working on practice. And then maybe they could do edge of protocols because, gosh darn it, they're free. Okay? Yeah. So that's easy. <laughs> and then the last wrinkle is this, and not a lot of Californians know this, in Michigan – and Wisconsin and those cold weather states, it is illegal to have school between Labor Day and Memorial Day. Or did I say that backwards? Either way, over the summer, yeah, you may not have school in the windows. And I think in those states, it's weather related. Like they, when it's summer, they need to enjoy all the summer they can get. But I don't know why logically you couldn't extend the same thing to California. Let's go to 165. Let's go to 167. 
are you really telling me we're getting that much more out of 10 or 15 days of school? Because what we're getting is burned out teachers and kids with melees, right? They're just trashed. It becomes a survival thing. College is much shorter year. College is like September to May, right? And yet people learn great things in college. We've got this idea in our head that more school means better, but if you're doing it wrong, more school means worse. Yeah. It means worse. It means more stress and more, you know, melees and more burnout and more stretching. So those are some of the things that I think when Edu Revolution hits its stride, we'll be looking at things like that. Not just classroom practice, but how does ed code actually break us? How does ed code ruin us? Why don't we just ado- adopt Khan Academy for the state and just move on? <laughs> In terms of curriculum, yeah. Yeah, why don't we just do it? Why don't you yeah. say, and now if you want to supplement and buy something, have a great time. Why don't we get rid of E-rate and just give everybody free bandwidth? Notice what I said, free bandwidth. They would still have to pay for their gear. Yeah. But the idea that we're paying e-rate to get a 90% discount. Do you know how many human hours go into filing e-rate? That's just destroying productivity for people that are making a hundred thousand a year. Makes no sense. None. Love it. Senseless. Love it. Yeah. And this is exactly the kind of thing that we're looking to continue to have conversations around. And so we are coming to the end, but I want to say, uh, First to Sonny and then to John, what's one big first step people can take to kind of join the Edu Revolution movement? Sonny, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, uh, thanks. Uh, the um, It's been great to uh, have this conversation and, and uh, kind of relive the, our past with John. I also want to mention uh, Marlena Heburn, uh, the author of uh, uh, the Edge Protocols Field Guide with John. Uh, so what we've done is uh, we've put together a pathway forward for teachers uh, and and administrators and leaders. So I think the first step, we'd enc- I'd encourage folks to uh, join us on Cyber Lab, which is we have two Cyber Labs, Cyber Teacher Lab and Cyber Leader Lab, to learn about the tools, learn about the processes, and learn how to work less, teach better, and accelerate student learning using these T3 Edge protocols. Uh, so that'd be the first step. Be, be, raise your awareness. And I'd invite everyone to, to join us. You can look at find it at, uh, um, probably have a link at the end of the podcast, but on maganiaeducation.com, M-A-G-A-N-A education.com to learn about uh, the T3 framework, learn about the research, learn about the impact, which has an effect size of 1.6. Uh, that's, that's equivalent to a quadrupling of learning, and then learn about the protocols and how the edge of protocols align with the T3 strategies. Uh, so that you can use them right away. So my first, mm-hmm. the first step is to become aware, become familiar mm-hmm. with the T3 Edge protocols, and join us on Cyber Teacher Lab for teachers or Cyber Leader Lab. Yeah, because I think you know, I'll put it in for those of you who don't know, Sonny is quite the musician, and so <laughs> I would say it like this: you could be sitting around the campfire, yeah. strumming an acoustic guitar, and have never experienced. Eddie Van Halen. And so if you think it's you're tragic. in that place where you're sitting around the campfire and uh, strumming your acoustic guitar and you'd like to know what Eddie Van Halen is doing, uh, check out Sonny Magana's work. John, what's one big thing uh, that people could take as a first step from your perspective? Well, I always think that one of my favorite lines in the movie Platoon was, when you free your mind, your rear end will follow. <laughs> <laughs> and so to Sonny's point, 
going to the PD that's going to change your life. Um, what they're doing in Cyber Lab is amazing. Um, get involved with Twitter. Um, get involved uh, on Facebook. Um, Kim Bogey has a really good Facebook page called Empowered Adventure. It's a pun, Empowered Adventure. And you'll see what best practices are. Everywhere I've ever worked, I've seen teachers that work really hard, but they have no idea what's really happening, which would be the equivalent of saying, I have the best hometown buffet on the planet. Dude, you ain't Roos Chris. <laughs> if you've never been to Roos Chris, you can't imagine Roos Chris or Fleming's or whatever restaurant you want, right? And so really, I would say the first step is to acquire a distaste for the ineffectiveness of what we're doing now and stop being lulled to sleep by the regular practice and be more like a NASCAR technician or an offensive coordinator in the NFL. You're always looking for the new thing, the new thing, the new thing. How can we stop a practice that's either wasting time or is not getting results? And I'll tell you one more quick story. Um, for football people, there's a there's an extra point attempt called the swinging gate. And what it is is basically all – instead of lining up for a kick, everybody lines up to one side. And instead of snapping the ball through the legs, the guy flips it to the guy and it turns into a running play. It's like not a regular hike. It's a snap. And one time I asked the coach at Fresno State, I go, why do you guys run the swinging gate? Because you only actually do it about three times a year. Most of the time they line up that way and then kick like normal. And I go, why do you guys do that? And he goes, it's easy. I'm using up the other team's practice time. <laughs> Since nobody that. else does this, they have to spend more time learning our weird thing, right? They have to spend more time of their practice learning our weird thing. I only have to teach the weird thing once a year, and then we can use it all year. And I was like, dude, that is the smartest thing I have ever heard. <laughs> you you do weird things to use up the other team's practice time. If they don't have to account for weird things, then they have their maximum practice time. So we need to think like the inverse of that in, in school. What are dumb things we're doing that are not getting us the results? And how do we quit using up our practice time by doing things that don't work? If they don't work, stop doing them. That's so amazing. I appreciate that. And John, you've got um, Edu Protocols book one and book two are out. You and Marlena. Have, yeah. And uh, then the math edition's coming out. Like I've finally seen the one with the graphics. So I, I think we're within two weeks. So um, that's targeted at K-8 teachers because trust me, I think almost every subject has is doing something wrong. But to me, the the one that's the most dangerous is math because when you raise a nation of students who don't know how statistics work and don't know how to do basic arithmetic, when you've got a whole country like that, I will quote the uh, French monk that started the French public school system when back when the French used to wear burlap, right? He said, I will take peasants and turn them into Frenchmen. <laughs> and I would posit, and this may be a really good place to kind of wrap up. I don't I don't think we're currently doing that in the US. I think we're 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 taking citizens and kind of turning them as a, into peasants because they don't have a great economic future. They're not bought in ideologically or philosophically necessarily to our country. It's just a giant mall. You know, the United States has kind of turned into a giant mall. You want to make a lot of money to buy a lot of stuff. That's not really a country. It's not really a country, officially speaking, as a history guy. Yeah, I love that. And John, I love your, uh, you know, one of the things you always say is now that we know each other, you've got free lifetime support. Mm-hmm. So we'll put that out there. And, and where can people find you on the, uh, 
World Wide Web, as we used to call it back in the early 90s. Oh, the so-called World Wide Web. Shout out to Phil Harding. That's um, right. Uh, my email is at jcaripo, J-C-O-R-I-P-P-O at Gmail. You know, I don't have any weird numbers on my Gmail because I was on in like 2005. So it's just jcaripo. <laughs> and then uh, Twitter at jcaripo and then um, hashtag edge of protocols. You'll see teachers that are literally releasing themselves from the insanity that we are doing. They're literally giving themselves a get out of jail free card. And then they're recruiting others and saying, dude, this is a thing. And it's, it's incredible to watch. And, and to the results are out of control. The results are nuts. Well, that's how you can get to that quadrupling of student achievement that Sonny's research verifies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things I would say to the leaders is that your primary responsibility is to liberate your teachers, liberate mm -hmm. your teachers and your staff mm -hmm. to do the things that they need, they, they, they know they need to do. And I think that's huge. Okay, we're going to wrap up. But before we do, Sonny... Um, What's the what's the greatest thing on your gratitude list? Yeah, great question. Uh, I, uh, I'm I'm really grateful for uh, this group for Edge of Protocols and for meeting John and Marlena and yourself, Mike. Uh, I'm grateful for how you help me um, appreciate new uh, perspectives. You know, the diversity of our perspectives around this work and how important it is to open minds, as John's really talking about. You know, opening teachers' minds and opening learners' minds. That that requires a team approach. And too often we see we think of learning as an individual approach, like we have the 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 mm -hmm. before of a long distance runner. Well, no, John Dewey showed us that learning was an active sport. You gotta get off the bench and in the game. My research shows that learning is a team sport. We learn better together. So I'm grateful for the collective team in Edge of Revolution because I think we're better together. That's that's what I'm really grateful for. Right on. Thank you. And John, what's at the top of your gratitude list? Uh, just that you guys exist because I would thought I was a crazy person for the first 15 <laughs> years of my career. <laughs> and I got, I got literally uh, left out, passed over, you know, luckily I'm, I'm very determined. So, but to, to, I don't know, uh, you'll love this rock reference, Sonny, but, um, um, the song, uh, no rain by, Oh, Shannon Hoon was the author. Oh, uh, soul, soul. Oh, it's anyways, it's a really cool song, but there's in the video, there's a little girl who likes to dress up like a bumblebee. And as she goes down the road, people are mocking her. And as she's at school, people are mocking her. And then she sees a little gate and she opens it and she goes through the gate and everybody's dressed up like a bumblebee. And it literally makes you want to cry. And is it, is it the Blind Melon song? Yeah, Blind Melon. Blind there you Melon. go. Blind. Yeah, great song. Yeah, yeah. And, and, um, and uh, that's the way I felt when I met you guys. I was like, I'm not alone. <laughs> not crazy. This is a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like, like spirits for sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. right on. Well, that is fantastic. And I again, I want to express my gratitude to John and Sonny and uh, kicking off this inaugural episode of uh, the Edge of Revolution podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Mike, Mike McCormick, and um, that'll do it. Thank you for listening today. I hope you feel inspired to be the change our students need. You can find this podcast on all the major platforms. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. You can connect with me on Twitter at Mike underscore McCormick2 and Instagram at Michael R. McCormick. 
And hop on over to the edurevolutionpodcast.com website for free resources that support your next change initiative.